for the quarterly report with your host, Armand Lee. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I am your host, Armand Lee, and thank you so much for once again listening to the quarterly report. Got another fun show this week. My cousin, Sadiq Abdul, is making his monthly appearance to the show. We're going to do something a little bit different for this interview, however. I'm going to ask him a few questions, and he'll tell me if he agrees with me or if he thinks I'm tripping. So that'll be fun. Also, something that's not fun, these damn robots, man. Every time I turn around, somebody's doing something stupid regarding these damn robots, man. And, and when I let you know the two things that have happened recently, I think y'all are going to start to feel where I'm coming from. We've got all that and so much more. But first, the number one story this week. First I've already let my feelings for Derrick Rose be known in the past, right? If you know me personally, you know that this isn't a new uh, feeling. This is something that I felt quite a while in regards to Derrick Rose, not just because he was a former Nick, but this goes back to his years in Chicago. If you are a listener to this show, and if you are, thank you so much for, for giving me an hour of your time each week. I appreciate you. Early on, once the show started, I made it quite clear, you know, my position when it comes to the former league MVP. But, you know, late last week, there was word that came out of Cleveland that Derrick Rose was strongly considering uh, calling it quits. Uh, he, he wasn't sure if he wanted to return to playing basketball. So, you know, naturally, this gave everyone an opportunity to kind of look back at the career, the ups and the downs. And despite being a critic of Derrick Rose, there is no doubt Derrick Rose has some amazing peaks in his career. You know, I may not like the player, but like, I'm not a hater. You know, when Derrick Rose came onto the scene, he was an amazing player, an amazing player. Um, but let's, let's keep it real, right? This, this entire Derrick Rose saga has become tiresome. And I may not be the most sympathetic person, but there is a part of me that, that finds this entire situation with Rose and, 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 kind of the, the the sudden and drastic fall from grace that he had, both on and off the floor, that is sad. I think we all can agree on that. But I'm not here to make everyone sad. I'm here to, to kind of reflect on the career and then look forward to where we put Derrick Rose when it comes to um, his place in history. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to talk about all the, the many instances of Derrick Rose doing some wild things, some questionable things, uh, and, you know, the injuries. Because whether you leave all the off-the-court things to the side, no one wants to see this type of stuff because Derrick Rose was an amazing player. When Derrick Rose came into the, the, the league, you thought, okay, man, we're seeing one of the next great point guards, like, pencil him in, you know, for the next – 13 to 15 years, you know, like it's, it's like, you know, with Penny or T-Mac or even Gilbert, again, just on the court. Now, these are guys who brought a lot of fun to the league, whether you rooted for their teams or, or not, whether you thought they were overrated or not, they were fun, you know, and I'm in the business of fun. I think we, as a fan, if you listen to my show, I hope you just enjoy sports and not one of these people who are maniacal and 
want to talk about, you know, the purity of the game and all this other stuff. Sports, they're like, they're just like music, movies, comedies, the whole nine, the entertainment. And there is no doubt that when the Chicago Bulls are good, especially with a star who played like Derrick Rose, the entire league is better for it, right? And Derrick Rose was so exciting. I hated the Bulls. I've never liked the Bulls, but I'll be damned that there were some moments where you saw Derrick Rose, young Derrick Rose, leap and change his body midair and finish at the rim. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. But the problem with Derrick Rose was, from a historical standpoint, when we're talking about his place in history, is that his amazing play, it lasted only but for so long. And so many people will, will then rush to point out, oh, well, he's the youngest MVP in the, in the league history. And that is true. But what is also true is that Derrick Rose is the least deserving MVP of all time. That MVP is not Derrick Rose's MVP, and we all know that. Like, let's be honest now, okay? Let's be honest. That MVP that Derrick Rose won, that was a heartbreak MVP. You know what I mean? That was a scorned lover MVP. You know, that, we all know who deserved that MVP that year. It was LeBron. But that was LeBron's first year in Miami, and nobody wanted to give LeBron an award that year. Now, this is one of the things about members of the media and you know to some extent i am a member of the media but you know I, i'm not with any type of poll like that i'm not voting on awards but members of the media love to make great stories they love the narrative they love to they love the power and the idea that lebron james did not get an award that he deserved because people were mad that he went to miami is absolutely insane so insane Especially considering that they gave him an award the next year. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, yo, the first year you go down there, we got to teach you a lesson. But then we're going to give you two more. Like, seriously? It makes no sense. But I use that as an argument to highlight my case, my ultimate case, that history will look back on Derrick Rose. And I'm using him, right? another man, another player, only for this moment. To, to highlight my to my point, my ultimate point. There are only two men who have won MVP that have never made it to the NBA Finals. Derrick Rose and Steve Nash. Now, while Steve Nash, his, I think we all can kind of agree that Steve Nash did not deserve the second MVP, but there is no, de there's no debate whether you agree he should have won it or not. Steve Nash the merits of his MVP, his first one, are, are without question. Steve Nash was absolutely right there with Shaquille O'Neal for that first MVP title. I think the reason why so many people, well, if we're going to be honest, there are a lot of reasons why people kind of look at Steve Nash's MVP a little bit crazy. One, obviously, is race that we can't get around that, right? But I also think that some of it is because history tells us that Steve Nash is never the guy to win that award. Case in point, a few years earlier, Jason Kidd was traded to the then New Jersey Nets. And the same thing that happened with Steve Nash, Jason Kidd did. Remember, the Nets were a laughing stock, which they are now. Kidd gets there and immediately makes them a contender. 
think they won high 50s, maybe 60 wins that year. Just a few years before Nash won his, right, his first. And that year, you know, Tim Duncan in San Antonio had another dominant year. And history shows, which they always does, the big man who wins a crazy amount of game and puts up 20 points and, you know, double-digit rebounds, they get the, the MVP. So even though Jason Kidd turned around an entire organization, took him to the finals, had them winning close to 60, if not 60 wins, they were the talk of the town. They played an exciting brand of basketball. I mean, almost to the point, it's almost identical when you look at Jason Kidd's first year in New Jersey to Steve Nash's first year, or, well, his return to Phoenix. They're almost identical. But Jason Kidd didn't win MVP that year. They gave it to Tim Duncan. And I think most people kind of understood that Tim Duncan was going to win it because history has shown us this, right? John Stockton never won an MVP. You know, I mean, this is kind of the way the game goes. For years, Magic didn't win MVP. They were giving it to Kareem or Larry Bird, the big man who scores the points and gets the rebounds. So for history, we had evidence that the big man always gets the MVP. So when Steve Nash got it over Shaq, people were kind of taken aback, not because Steve Nash didn't deserve it, but because history shown us has shown us that the award always goes to the big man. So that's why I think people hold that first Steve Nash MVP kind of, they look at it funny. Again, along with, you know, the racial aspect, you know what I mean? Because we can't deny that that existed. You know, there's a white guy getting the MVP over Shaq. A lot of people just rub them the wrong way. However, you can't question that Steve Nash was deserving. Again, it was just questionable because it goes against what we've seen from a historical standpoint. But you couldn't question the merit of Steve Nash's MVP. You could absolutely question the merit of Derrick Rose's MVP. And again, history will look back. Those are the only two guys to win an MVP trophy and not make it to an NBA Finals. That's telling. That's telling. That's if Derrick Rose retires. Because the, the, the likelihood that he makes it a Finals this year, if he got, does return, is obviously quite high because he's playing with LeBron. But that goes back to my point when it comes to how history will look back on Rose. Because he won an MVP. He didn't make it to the Finals. But... I don't believe Derrick Rose will even make it to a Hall of Fame. And it's not just, you know, he won the MVP, and we all know he shouldn't have won the MVP. We all know that was LeBron's. Derrick Rose is walking around with a trophy that should have LeBron's name on it. But if they didn't want to give it to LeBron, they should have gave it to Dirk. People forget how amazing a year that Nowitzki had. Nowitzki's final, his playoff run was amazing. But you forget how dominant he was in the regular season. Hell, if you didn't give it to Dirk, Dwight Howard deserved it more than Derrick Rose. So that's the problem when you point to Derrick Rose and say, hey, he's the youngest MVP of all time. He should have been the fourth runner-up. Or third runner-up, excuse me. He should have finished fourth in the MVP voting. But because, you know, writers like the story, and Derrick Rose had an amazing story, and the Bulls, they had a great year that year. And you know what? I'm getting off topic for a minute. Because I definitely talked to you guys about this. But part of the MVP for Derrick Rose that annoys me the most, I swear the Kobe assist 
I've talked about this before. The Kobe assist or the Derrick Rose assist where a player can miss a shot and he will get credit for missing a shot because his teammate is an amazing offensive rebounder and put the, the shot in the hoop. They give Derrick Rose or Kobe Bryant credit for missing a basket as if they have missed it on purpose. It's the dumbest I it's the dumbest uh idea ever. And it's not just like this hot take. Like this is a real thing. If you Google Kobe assist, there have been articles. This is a real life concept that respected journalists and analysts talk about. And that played a part into Derrick Rose's MVP uh MVP season as well. They gave him credit because Joe Kim Noah and Taj Gibson and Luau Ding and Omir Shik. Ashik were great rebounders. Derrick Rose would miss shots, and the Bulls would get the offensive rebound and score on the putback, and Derrick Rose would somehow get credit. Oh, man, don't get me started on that. The, the Kobe assist is the dumbest thing in the world. But that's another reason why the MVP that Derrick Rose has is fraudulent. But think about it. If you're saying that Derrick Rose is a Hall of Famer, and the only thing you give me is that MVP, that argument is looking weaker and weaker in the light. Again, Derrick Rose was fun. Derrick Rose was amazing. Derrick Rose was one of the best players in the league, no doubt. But he had a three-year, three to four-year run. And then it was all done. You can't reward that. Not as a Hall of Famer. Not when you've got the type of history that I've pointed out about never making it to the finals about he really should have been the fourth MVP that year. I mean, think about it. History has a funny way. And this is in sports. This is in politics. This is in whatever avenue you choose to look at it through. History has a funny way of showing people the errors that we make, right? Because if you don't stand the test of time, it's easy to point out an error. And while I wish Derrick Rose the best, I hope he gets himself together. I hope... He's not making this decision because of, I don't. I, I hope that he's okay. You know, there's a lot of things going on around Derrick Rose. I hope if he wants to leave the game of basketball, he does so, and he's at peace with that decision. I am not trying to dance on uh, any type of um, uh, dramatic uh, escapade or a situation that may be going on in his life. Let's make that perfectly clear. But. Derrick Rose, historically, we are going to look back at him as another Penny Hardaway, another Grand Hill, and another Gilbert Arenas. Very good basketball players, and with the exception of Grand Hill because he had an amazing collegiate career. Guys who would absolutely have made it to the Hall of Fame, but came up short. Because there's a difference between having a run and being a shooting star and being a consistent superstar in the National Basketball Association. All right, guys, that's quarter number one. Again, no hate to Derrick Rose. I hope he's okay, but come on, man. You know, it takes more than three years to be a Hall of Famer and a fluke-ass MVP. Hopefully you don't think my opinions or this show is fluke. If not... Make sure you follow the show on Twitter. We're at Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E Show. And subscribe to the show on iTunes. All you got to do is go to the iTunes podcast directory, 
Search in the quarterly report. Again, that's quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. See the show's icon, click on that, and subscribe. And while you're at it, please rate and review and let the world know your thoughts on the show. All right, guys, we're going to keep things moving. We're going to stay on the basketball court with another quote-unquote hot take that yours truly has. It's our second topic this week. Second I try to, you know, give my sports opinions and ideas in a way that whether you agree or not, it, it's easy to consume and it makes sense, right? I'm not, I don't want to be one of the guys who yells and screams and just, you know, repeats himself over and over again and has kind of like a, a position. And there's no consistency with that position. I'm just either the anti-LeBron guy or I'm so overwhelmingly in love with LeBron or I'm the pro-Brady guy or the anti-Brady. You know, I don't want to be that. You know, I want to have a position. I want to have consistency. And I want to be able to articulate my position and my perspective in a way that makes sense, whether you agree or not, right? You don't always have to agree with me, but hopefully I'm always making sense in my sports arguments. That's, I mean, that's kind of the goal that I set for myself. I don't want to have crazy sports hot takes. Ultimately, that's my my main goal. But I got to be honest with you all. Last, maybe about two weeks ago, I started thinking about this NBA move, if you will. And it started resonating with me. And I know when I tell you all this, it's going to come across as potentially being a hot take. So before we even get into it, I'm not trying to build up suspense. I'm trying to do my due diligence because I don't want to be known as a hot take artist. And, you know, I, 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 I work hard at establishing my credit and my name. Like Marlo said, man, my name is my name, baby. So before I tell you this, which will undoubtedly be took as being a hot take, hot take I want to run this disclaimer and almost a way to kind of uh, protect myself from the stigma of being a heart take artist, if you will. So before I give you the hot take, let me run this sound to give you guys fair warning that these takes about to be sizzling and off the stove. Now that my man Nelly held me down right there, gave me some protection. Here's my take that I honestly, this is not like a game. I, I really feel that this is a smart move, even though I understand it's going to come with, like people are going to naturally just kind of be against it just because you hear it. But here it goes. I, Armand Lee, feel that Danny Ainge and the Boston Celtics should trade Gordon Hayward next year as soon as they possibly can. I know it sounds crazy. You know, I know what you guys are thinking. Man, the Celtics, they're playing so well without Gordon Hayward. Wait until they actually play with them. Man, Gordon Hayward is one of the best players in the league, and he's young. It's only an ankle. It's not like it's a, a knee or ligament damage. They're going to be even bigger and better the next year. All those things make sense. Again, this is not me knocking Gordon Hayward. I think Gordon Hayward is an, is an amazing basketball player. I think Gordon Hayward is a really good basketball player and could be a piece on a championship team. 
But that's the point. I don't think Gordon Hayward can be an anchor to a championship team. And if you're going to be a piece, a piece to a championship team, I hope you shouldn't be that team's leading or highest paid player. Right? I think it's fair to say that if you're just going to be a piece and the team can win without you, which we're seeing from Boston, it's probably in the team's best interest, especially in a salary cap era, to try to move that one chunk to kind of solidify your entire roster. Okay? Not to mention, the, the plan was to bring Jason Tatum the number three overall pick in this past year's draft off the bench. But Jason Tatum, in a rookie, in a rookie year, mind you, is playing lights out. You can't put that toothpaste back in the jar. Jalen Brown, he's he surpassed everyone. I don't care if you're the biggest Jalen Brown fan. Unless your last name is Brown, he has surpassed everyone's uh, expectations for him this in the early season so far. And these are guys in their first and second year, respectively. These young wolves are eating. You can't, you can't lock them back up. You know, the plan for this Boston Celtics team this year was Kyrie, Gordon Hayward in the one one A type of role. With you know, obviously you have Al Horford, a little bit long in the tooth, but a very good basketball player, a very smart basketball player, a guy who doesn't need a lot of touches. But basically, Kyrie and Hayward. 1-1-A, leading the troops, and then the young boys kind of getting in where they fit in. But with Gordon Hayward's injury, and it's happening so early in the year, Brown and Tatum have been thrown into the fire. Like, this is trial by fire now. And they have succeeded, succeeded past beyond anyone's wildest imaginations. You're not going to then tell these guys to reduce their roles next season. It's not going to happen. And the fact that Jalen and Tatum are both on rookie deals, right? With Kyrie's impending free agency after next season, cap space is valuable. And if you can win with young players and two big-time contracts, which will be Kyrie and, and Horford, why not try to trade this one valuable piece? Because Gordon Hayward, even off of ankle surgery, he is valuable. Trade it and then get the supplemental players that you need to have a championship run. Like everybody looks at Golden State and thinks of, oh man, you know, they've got KD, Steph, Draymond, Clay. And obviously, right, when you have four players at that level, you know, it helps. But you know what else helps? Having a Sean Livingston, having an Andre Iguodala off your bench to solidify. Your, your, your team, right? Give it a, a veteran presence, a, a, a kind of calming, um, a calming hand to kind of guide the team when things get crazy in the playoffs because they absolutely will. Marcus Smart is a really good player, but I don't know if Marcus Smart can be your primary backup point guard. Terry Rozier, nice player. I don't know if you can rely heavily on him. And, you, and when you look at Boston's offensive statistics, you see, you know, they're doing this on defense. Offensively, they're still kind of struggling. And, yes, Gordon Hayward would help them offensively, but 
imagine if you got a really good sixth man, a really good backup point guard, and, you know, a nice solid uh, big man to kind of, you know, hold the fort when Horford goes on the bench. Because you got to prepare for Horford to, to start to decline because, you know, this is year two of a four-year deal for Al. You know, you can't expect him to play like this in year three and year four. And the timeline for Boston, right? Kyrie is very young. Obviously, Tatum, Brown, super young. But then you got Horford and you got Hayward. Who are, Hayward's not old by any stretch, but he's on the higher side of 20. You know, he's closer to 30 than he is to 20 now. You know what I mean? And you have this kind of, you know, musical chairs thing with Boston, right? Because they've got such great young players. And Kyrie, while he's not a pup anymore, he's still like in his mid-20s. You know what I mean? So you've got your foundation of Kyrie, Jalen, and Tatum. So you got this youth movement. And then you got Horford for two more years after this season. So you have a, a long championship run. Gordon Hayward at this point is like a luxury, not a necessity. So why not keep your cap space in a very good position? You know, you don't have to worry about the luxury tax if you were to move Gordon Hayward. Because at this point, Gordon Hayward isn't the 1A guy. When he comes back next season, the, the plan was for him and Kyrie to be 1-1-A. When Gordon Hayward comes back next season, I'm not saying that Jalen Brown is better than Gordon Hayward. I'm not saying Jason Tatum is better than Gordon Hayward because they're not. But they're young and they are coming. They're young and up and coming. They're not going to be down for just being the third and fourth option. These young boys got to eat. Tatum, the Celtics traded the first overall pick so they could get Jason Tatum. He is not going to be cool coming off the bench and taking eight to, you know, nine shots anymore. Like this, this is the Boston's new reality. They've played so well 20 games into this season that from a future perspective, you got to really question how Gordon Hayward is going to fit. Now, I don't think that Gordon Hayward is like some on some Koba or Kobe black mama mentality type of thing where he's going to be like, y'all going to have to adjust to me. Gordon Hayward seems to be an extremely coachable player, an extremely intelligent player, and really good with team chemistry. So I, I do feel that he would be fine adjusting. And let me make this point clear. If Boston doesn't move Gordon Hayward, I think they'll be fine too, right? Ultimately, Gordon Hayward is a, one of the best players in the league. So you're never going to be in a bad position by having one of the best players in the league. My point is they are winning without him. Now, we still need to see how the playoffs play out, right? We don't know what will happen for Boston's um, postseason run. If they get bounced early, if they have a disappointing postseason, then, you know, this will all be rendered moot, you know, and I'll be looked as being a fool. However, I don't foresee that happening because Boston plays amazing defense and they have good chemistry right now. Guys are falling in line. Tatum and Brown are getting their shots. Horford seems to be having fun. And Kyrie is thriving in this role, right? He gets to play big moments in the fourth quarter and make these crazy tough shots, which it seems what is what he wanted all along. Gordon Hayward is Boston's highest paid player. You're not going to ask your highest paid player to just kind of get in where he fits in. That seems to, to me 
to be a bit superfluous, right? Just a little bit extra. Doesn't seem necessary. I feel like if you were to trade Gordon Hayward for two to three really good supporting players, you'd fi probably find a better use of that $28 million a year salary that he has under the cap. You know what I mean? And you can keep yourself, you can give yourself flexibility, which is key because if Brown continues to play like this, you know, you're going to look for a big, he's, he's going to get a big payday in two years. You got to always kind of keep your eyes, not just on the team, but on that cap. Because two years goes by in a flash. You know what I mean? This is year two for Brown. It means he's got two years left before he's up. And then after his year is up, you're going to have to think about paying Tatum. This is how the NBA works now, guys. Gordon Hayward is an amazing basketball player, but you got to ask yourself, is could he bring more wins to Boston on the floor or as instead of one player holding $28 million in the cap space two, possibly three players in that same cap hole? It's not just the big three or the big four that Golden State has. It's also having the proper supporting cast that Golden State has as well. All right, guys, you heard the horn. That means we are done with the first half. Thank you so much for rocking with me this week on the quarterly report. But like I told you last week, we are alternating each week. We're going to do something a little bit special this week and every other week on the show. I like to call it stoppage time. It's where I take a bit of time out, stop the time, and answer some questions that I have received from you guys the fans, the people who listen to the show, the people who I appreciate more so than most people in this world. So here are a few questions that I've gotten over the last few weeks. This one is from Curtis from Waldorf, Maryland. Curtis, what's going on, bro? He asks me, what do I feel about Eli Manning's benching? And do I think that he is getting a raw deal in New York? All right. So Curtis, thank you again for listening to the show. And thank you for the question. Man, that whole, <laughs> I don't know what's going on with the NFL this, this year. It just seems crazy to me. Look, Eli, I've never been the biggest Eli Manning fan, um, but he's won two Super Bowls. And I don't think it's wrong for the Giants to move on from Eli, but to do it this way, to come to Eli and say, hey, man, we'll keep you starting so you can continue your streak, but we're probably going to pull you in these games so we could play Geno Smith or this other quarterback, his name escapes me. That's wild to me. Look, the Giants aren't winning anything. Um, so if they had a young quarterback who they drafted in the first or second round and they wanted to see, you know, what he was, um, to see if he would be the quarterback of the future, I would get that. But G let's make no mistake. Geno Smith isn't the quarterback of the future for the Giants. Matter of fact, the Giants... If Rosen or Donald or any of these other quarterbacks come out and the Giants have the opportunity to draft them, they absolutely will. So the idea that they they need to see which quarterback, you know, what quarterback on their roster could possibly be in terms of being the future franchise quarterback is a joke because if they have an opportunity to draft somebody, they will. You know? So, you know, it's weird to me, man. I don't think Eli 
I think sometimes people get they get uh they make a big deal out of the way certain players are treated, but I do feel like it's not a need to do this to him. You know what I mean? Like Eli obviously is not the player he once was, but there's a lot wrong with the Giants, and to to make Eli the scapegoat to me seems a bit crazy, a bit harsh, and um, yeah, it doesn't leave a good taste in my mouth. So I don't know what the hell Big Blue is doing this year. I'm just thankful that for once, the worst run organization in New York sports isn't my boys rocking the orange and blue. So you know the Jets and the Giants, y'all have at it, y'all take that. Leave my Knicks alone, baby. All right, one more question this week before we get. Uh, to halftime and this question is coming from Petersburg I'm sorry this is from coming from Candace she is in Petersburg Virginia you know right outside of Richmond you know right by Virginia State shout out to them Trojans and she's asking me what is my opinion on the Cameron Mace beef that happened this week all right Candace again thank you for listening to the show thank you for your question um I can't lie when I was coming up, man, I was Cam and the dip diplomats. I they they had a run. I love you know, ever notice like when you look back on on your life, they're like in music especially. There are artists who there are artists that you love, right? To me, it's Outcast, uh, Nas, Scarface. Um, these are like my favorite rappers consistently throughout the years. But there are certain rappers who have like little runs or musicians who like have a three year or four year run where you're just like, yo, this part of my life was kind of, this was my, you know, whoever artist, this was their run. So for me, it was like, you know, when I was younger, it was mystical. And then it was corrupt. And then it was DMX. Then it was like past Troy. And from 2000 to 2004, Cameron and the Diplomats, man, they had a run. You know what I'm saying? Where, like, I was listening to those dudes hard. So when I heard Mace's diss, I can't lie. I was like, damn. Like, you know, <laughs> uh, 19-year-old Armand kind of felt some way because, man, like, Cam was my guy. And, you know, Mace hit him. Hit him over and over and over again. And that joint, I was not expecting it. I don't know why it happened. I don't know where it came from. But, you know... Uh, 2001 Armand definitely was kind of, he was, I was, I was feeling for Cam a little bit. Cam responded. I don't know what type of microphone he was using. I don't know what recording system he was using. <laughs> so it took away from his response, but, uh, yeah, man, I, I mean, you gotta, you gotta keep it funky, man. Mace, Mace got that one and I don't know where it came from. I don't know wh- why it started, but <laughs> I don't know where it goes from here. But yeah, uh, my take on that Cameron Mace beef is that uh, Mace definitely won that uh, that war, which is quite confusing and sad all at the same time. <laughs> all right, so but thank you guys for your questions. Again, if you want to email me or tweet the show, any questions, any topics that you want to hear me talk about, or anything that you want to debate me on, you can email the show at quarterlyreport at gmail dot com, or you can tweet at me at Quarterly Show, that's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show, that's on Twitter. And speaking of beef, that leads me perfectly into the halftime this week, where two 
of the game's biggest rivals squared off. And no, I'm not talking about Cam and Mace. I'm talking about two other gentlemen. Take a listen. URL and Smack presents the ultimate rap battle between the two biggest rivals in the game. Denver's the key to leave in Oakland's Michael Crabtree. Here, as Tlaib goes repeatedly after Crabtree's neck. Literally. Sherman called you mediocre, but I think you're lame. Because for the second time, homie, I took your chain. Ooh. Hey, yo, check it. Hey, check it, check it. When you play the Broncos, get caught up in the rapture. Because when you see me, call me Chain Snatcher. Hey, yo, Crabtree, Crabtree, man. Let them know something. Step to the mic, man. You got to respond. Let them know something. Oh, it's all good, man. It's all good. I got nothing. I got what? nothing. What? You got nothing? Boo this man. Boo! It's Smack URL, where the biggest battles meet face-to-face to settle the score. So, first off, I want to say shout-out to Aqib Tlaib for making football fun again for at least one week. You know what I'm saying? I haven't talked to anyone about wins, losses. You know, I, I talked about Eli for a second there at stoppage time. But the entire week, has been dominated by this Aqib Tlaib, Michael Crabtree situation. And it's the it's the most fun thing that has happened in football all year. Easily. And, like, if you my age, again, I'm, I'm 34, I'll be 35 in a few weeks. You know, that's like the ultimate kiss of death. If somebody snatches your chain, oh, man, it's, that's, it's over for you. You feel me? I told y'all a while ago I, I was never really a big Ja Rule fan. But it was funny to me. Back in the day, seeing how all these Ja Rule fans stopped liking him once 50 took his chain. Like, that's a straight rap thing, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and for your man Michael Crabtree to get his chain snatched not once but twice. Oh, my goodness. It's <laughs> straight up out of some rap beef joint. You know what I'm saying? Man, Crabtree, and it's the thing. Crabtree has to wear his chain every single time he plays to leave because now – if he doesn't wear it, it's going to be looked upon like he's scared. And <laughs> shit is so crazy to me. Like, these Bavis, both these teams have been supremely disappointing this year. But nobody cares in the moment because you got these two guys fighting over a chain. Shout out to Akeem Tlaib, man. Hey, thank God. Thank God Akeem Tlaib can play football. Because if not, he'd be a menace on somebody's streets. If he, You know what I'm saying? If he was hurting for real... I mean, what makes him want to try taking this dude's chain? That's so funny to me. So funny to me. So hopefully you guys enjoyed halftime. You know, we talked a little bit about the chain snatching and the little beef that's going on between Tlaib and Crabtree. But it's time to keep things moving for the second half. We're going to finish up strong, starting with my cousin who's making his monthly appearance on the show. Y'all know him very well. My guy, Sadiq Abdul. It's the last week. Actually, the last day of the month. So, you know, that means I got my cousin Rocket with me for this episode. He's a promoter and sports and culture analyst. My guy, family first, Sadiq Abdul. Dick, what's going on, baby? Hey, cuz, what's up, baby? Oh, you already know what time it is, cuz. Happy to have you on the show, as always. But we're going to do things a bit differently this week and moving forward when you're on the show. I'm going to give you three topics. Most of the time, it'll be topics that I've already discussed on the show. So I'll set you up and then I'll ask you 
if you agree with my position or if you think I'm tripping. And if you do, I'll give you time to kind of state your case. All right? All right. All right. So we're going to start things off with Derrick Rose. You, more than anyone, already know how I feel about Derrick Rose. But for a short recap for those just tuning in, I feel his MVP was fluke. And I feel that even when he was an elite player, he was slightly overrated. He was never as good as his biggest fans thought he was. And the news obviously came out last week that he was contemplating retirement and not coming back to basketball. And if that's the case, if that's the case, I do not believe that he is a Hall of Famer. Again, I feel his MVP was fluke. I feel that he was overrated. And because of all of those things, I do not think he is a Hall of Famer. Do you agree or disagree? With I disagree. And, and let me get one thing straight. There, nothing about Derrick Rose is overrated. You, you as a member of the Moore family, you're overrated. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you dare say a bad word about Derrick Rose, man. That's my guy, man. All right, so you know what? Let me, let me state my case really quickly, and I'll give it back to you. Number one, we all know Derrick Rose didn't deserve that damn MVP. I'm not going to rehash that. That's obvious. Number two, and more importantly, even when D. Rose was an amazing basketball player, he literally had a run of three, maybe four years. That was his peak. That, in my opinion, is not nearly long enough to be considered a Hall of Famer. I disagree. Okay. Now, I'm going to tell you, okay, now, if he had been maybe the sixth player in NBA history or seventh player or eighth player where it's kind of irrelevant to where you win your MVP your third year and basically only one year of college. So his third year was uh, – Will you know say would say would be like his senior year of college, right? So to win your you know he's the only one ever done this. So to win your MVP the third year at 21 years of age in the height of LeBron, like basically everybody says LeBron's the greatest. There's people out here that forget how good Michael Jordan was, Magic was, Kareem was. Everybody is, is stuck in the here and now in 2017. So and a lot of people ask they don't you know they they can't go back to the past at all. It's all about now. So LeBron's the greatest. He's a goat. Right? He's better than Kobe, all these other players. So LeBron is the greatest. The one guy to dethrone him at the time, you know, that alone counts for like six MVPs. I know he only won one. <laughs> all right, but I'm going to tell you like this. It's also, the, and, and the way the Hall of Fame has gone in the last few years, it's kind of been watered down. I mean, let's be real. T-Mac made it. That boy has done nothing. You right okay? now. T-Mac you make... a couple people. He dropped 60 points, and he can't get out the first round to save his life. He can't get out the first round of the 3-1 lead. T-Mac can now, nothing. So if T-Mac can make it, of course Derrick Rose can make it. Now, you do make a compelling case in terms of the Basketball Hall of Fame being the easiest Hall of Fame of all the major sports to get into. Definitely. It's, it's not even, even comparison to how like it is in Canton with the NFL. Like, NFL, right. you really got to – it's blood, sweat, and tears. You got to cut off a finger like Ronnie Locke to get in there. You know what I mean? Like Hall of Fame, NFL – Man, you can wear that coat around for the rest of your life. Like, I'm talking about don't buy another coat for the rest of your life. You can wear that every day, no matter where you go. You earn that. Basketball, man, you could you could drop 40 points a couple times and next thing you know you're in the Hall of Fame of basketball. All right, so it seems like the biggest case for Rose as a Hall of Famer is obviously the MVP and the fact that he was the youngest MVP of all time. But, again, that joint was fluke. He didn't earn that joint. He gave it, they gave Derrick Rose that MVP because people were upset that LeBron went to Miami. I agree again. This is after, I wish this conversation right here was after Thanksgiving, and this was back in the day, we were going to have Thanksgiving with Grandma, because I would lock the door, you could not come in. <laughs> <laughs> eat on the porch. You have to eat on the porch. All 
All right, well, watch this. I'm going to make you even more mad. Even if they didn't want to give it to LeBron, they should have gave it to Dirk or Dwight before they gave it to D. Rose. Rose was the fourth option for MVP that year. No, he was not. No, he was not. The Hornets and his team and everything. The team, first off, his team went all the way to the Eastern Final, I mean, Eastern Conference Finals. They lost in six to LeBron and Wade in the height of their Miami, you know, run because they were amazing. They were throwing 96 feet out of use and everything. They, they didn't even win the chip that year, though. That's what I'm saying. That's the year Dirk beat them, yeah? Oh, it was that year, was it? It wasn't the second year? Nah, that was year number one. So what? I don't care. He still. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. So you disagree with me on topic number one. Let's see if I can be a little bit more convincing for topic number two. Early in the show, I know it's a bit of a hot take. I understand this. But I made the case for the Boston Celtics to trade Gordon Hayward as soon as they possibly can. Now, there's talk that he may be trying to return for this pl- playoff run for this season. Obviously, they won't be able to trade him for this year. But next season. The Celtics should try to move Gordon Hayward, not as a knock on Hayward, but because Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have shown you this year that they're not going to take a secondary role to Hayward anymore. These are the This is the future of the Boston Celtics along with Kyrie. These young boys are hungry, and they are still ascending where we don't know what Gordon Hayward will be. So do you agree that the Boston Celtics should trade Gordon Hayward as soon as they can or once again, do you disagree? You're tripping. Disagree. Man. What you Why is that? Because whatever you ate got you, man. What would you eat, man? <laughs> okay, so I'm going to say it like this. Let's say they get, I mean, first off, if you can afford him, if Haywood's contract is not a problem somehow and it doesn't hurt, like with reading up Tatum in a few years and it doesn't hurt reading up Brown and Kyrie, I think he's up for contract another year. So if it doesn't hurt that at all and you have the luxury to have whatever you got to do to keep all those guys, why not keep them and accumulate more talent? And God forbid, the way things work, and that's another thing, speaking on the back on Derrick Rose, just for a quick, quick second. Derrick Rose is MVP because everything he did on the court was legit. He got hurt because it was just his time, and God just did. I mean, it was the injury hit him. It wasn't like he slumped on the court. So basically, they're saying that. Okay, let's say Gordon comes back, right? And God forbid, I don't wish anything on anybody. But let's say Gordon comes back. Then Tatum gets hurt. You see what I'm saying? Or right. Brown, or Brown gets hurt. Why not keep this guy and accumulate even more talent and be more dangerous? So if you're saying they should trade him, so should Golden should Golden State trade Clay, or should Golden State trade Draymond? Well, they should trade Draymond. He's trash. But should they trade? You see, what I'm saying should they trade the, uh, the four-headed monster? Trade trade uh, Durant. I mean, you can get three players for Durant. No, you got to you got to keep Haywood. I'm sorry, you got to keep Haywood. My point is, Gordon Hayward is the highest-paid player on the Boston Celtics, right? And they're winning without him. This isn't the case in Golden State. You know what I mean? If if Draymond Green was the highest paid player on the Warriors and the Warriors were winning without him, then yeah, I'd say maybe you should make a move. But that's not the case in Boston. And the case in Boston is Gordon Hayward was brought in to be the number two guy, like 1-1-A. That's not going to be the case anymore because the two young players who were supposed to be reserve or role type players are now thriving in their first and second year, respectively. So it's silly to say, all right, guys, we wanted you to be a reserve player, and our highest paid player was going to be like our 1-1-A Batman Robin type deal with Kyrie. Now he misses essentially the entire year, and you guys are showing, showing everyone how special you are. So now we want you to take another secondary role. That's not going to happen anymore. They traded the first overall pick to draft Jason Tatum. 
Jalen Brown was a top three pick the year before. They drafted these guys to be special, and they're showing the world that they are special without their highest paid player. So why have them? That's redundant, in my opinion. So, so basically, we're talking all these players and everything, and just like on your uh, your quarterly page, you also had the uh, Justice League on there, right? So you're going to right. kick one of those guys off? No. You accumulate as much strong, your strength and talent and guns and weapons and all the cliches you can. You accumulate, keep them all. If you can afford it, you keep them all. If you can afford 13 all-stars, you, can, you know, you, you do that. Brad Stevens is such a great coach, and they already have a rapport together of, like, you know, coming up and coming to college and, he, you know, raising him in college and everything. So, basically, he might even be able to tell Gordon and teach Gordon enough that somehow he could tell Gordon, Gordon, we might need you to come off the bench. We've already been rolling. You know, I, your, your role might be sixth man, the greatest sixth man of all time. So, come off the bench, blah, blah, blah. You might take him to dinner and, then, and then, you know what I'm saying, and, and, and make it along easily. And if they know, Gordon is, might be okay with it. Like, you know what? I'm going to come off the bench and kill. But think about that, right? You'd be paying your sixth man $26, 27000000 million annually. Like your sixth man will be your highest paid player. That doesn't make any sense. He won't be highest paid alone because when it's time for Kyrie to re-up. Because that's what I'm saying exactly. Think of it. Al Horford already, max contract. You know Gordon Hayward, max contract. In a year plus, Kyrie's going to get a max. And then two years from now, Jalen's contract is up. I don't know what he's going to get, but everybody gets paid. And then the year after that, it's time for Tatum to get paid. Like the cap, the cap is what the cap is. Boston, their money is long. But I, damn, to have five max contract players on their team, come on, man, that's crazy. I mean, honestly, it's a great problem to have. So either way, I, I, one, I trust Danny Ainge, first off. He's the only guy on earth where everybody thought it was crazy that, oh, he traded Avery Bradley. He right. traded, uh, you know, he traded crowd. He traded IT in the height of IT's uh, work last year. He had a vision, and actually he's made the team much better. You could tell that their team actually now has talent enough to win a championship. Last year, you really didn't believe that they could win a championship with that team. You just knew that they were gritty. They were grimy, a tough team. You know, they want to dive on the floor and do the little things to win a game. But you didn't really believe that they could win four games against a LeBron or against a monster team in the playoffs. This team here, I do believe they can, but that's the thing. I feel like you should keep – as many stars as you can. Now, if he could package uh, Haywood for another all-star, then I'm okay with that. You know what I mean? I don't say just dump them and just, like, accumulate, like, get one or two or three or more players. No. If somehow, like, let's say somehow Anthony Davis and New Orleans have kind of, like, after a while, just been like, oh, let's start over. You know, we haven't really gone away. We've been, we've been stuck in the eighth seed or not making the playoffs at all. Let's see what we can get. Maybe we can get Haywood and a few picks. You know, for and something like that, somebody that yeah. maybe plays another role. You know, because I understand where you're saying Haywood. Basically, basically Haywood is a, a two slash three, just like Tatum is a two slash three, just like Jaden Brown is a two slash three. They all wing players, so right. I understand. I understand there's a clutter now at the wing. So if you could trade Haywood and get maybe like a big, you know, maybe even maybe even boogie. You know what I'm saying? Maybe you can get boogie there or get anything like maybe a bigger guy, something like that. I respect that. But right. I, I just don't say give him up. I mean, you haven't even, first off, you haven't even seen what him and Kyrie could do. Like you said, they were, he was supposed to be. I mean, what if he comes back? I mean, anytime you take away anything that somebody loves and they have been dying for for so long, he might come back and absolutely kill. You don't even know. We don't even know yet. You know what I mean? No, you're right. So, so, so what if he does come back even better than he was in his Utah days, better than what we expect? He's back with, back with Brad Stevens, and therefore he shines like we not even expect. You want to get us away? No. He might no. You might they might run a four uh all four of those together, you know, on the floor. The Tatum can play the four. 
you know, in, in this new, I mean, Alder Porter's playing the four for us at times. So Tatum could play the four in this NBA, this new NBA. You could have all four of them on the court. All right, guys. Once again, I'm joined by my cousin, promoter, sports and culture analyst, my cousin, Sadiq Abdul. He's making his monthly appearance on the quarterly report. We're having a lot of fun doing something different. So here's our third and final topic. In halftime, I talked about Aqib Tlaib snatching Michael Crabtree's tra- chain for the second time. Uh, and tell me if I'm wrong. Either you agree or disagree. Michael Crabtree taping your chain to your chest, you know, getting your chain snatched not once but twice, and then trying to flex at afterwards. Afterwards, it's a sucker move. Am I right? Or do you once again disagree with me? Okay, we we you two for one now. I agree with you. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Hold on. I, I'm going to have to go back and read. You said he tasted the chain? Yes. After the game, after the incident, Adam Schefter reported that before the game, Michael Crabtree taped his chain to his chest because he knew Akeem was going to try him. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Well, they, are they even allowed to? That's always one. Are they even allowed to wear chains in the first place? Did he tape it because he was trying to leave, or did he tape it because they were he was supposed to tape it anyway? Nah, you can wear a chain. He just taped his chain to his chest because he knew Talib was going to try him. Talib is a thug, man. Is there a Butter Rim Part Two coming out, man? Talib is not playing in a role in that movie or something, man. Oh, oh man, right. I love Talib. That was that was just great. But see, Crabtree, you know why he taped it though? Kind of nah. like if you if you watch girls out here that they know they go into another neighborhood to fight a girl and they come out with Vaseline on there, you know they, they you know they were ready. He right. was ready basically. He didn't want to finish that game. He was waiting. The minute they ran the ball, he was probably you know if you watch that clip, he was waiting to get matched up with Tlaib. He waited. Matter of fact, he probably scheduled this a whole year from now. You know what <laughs> I mean? You know a whole year ago. This happened like last time they got into it. He got changed snaps. Might have been what? It might have been November twenty third, two thousand sixteen. He scheduled November twenty third, two thousand seventeen, or whatever date it was the other day. You know what I mean? Right. So he was he was waiting. Like I'm, I'm gonna get this guy. You know what I'm saying? That's what that's all it was. He was waiting. I'm talking about. But yeah, but I didn't that, know he taped. I didn't know he taped it though. I mean, God, at least. But honestly, that makes it even worse because you was ready for it, and he still took that drink from you. Leave it, man. Hey, yeah, don't mess with Tlaib, yeah. <laughs> Once again, guys, that's my cousin, my family, Sadiq Abdul, promoter, sports and culture analyst, making his monthly appearance on the Quarterly Report. We changed it up. We're going to do this each and every month, each and every time Deke is on the show, make his appearance a little bit different. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed it half as much as we enjoyed it. Sadiq, thank you so much for joining me on the show, and I look forward to hearing from you in December, cuz. Hey, not a problem, man. Keep up the good work, man. Everybody loving the show, man. Keep it up. Hey, man, I appreciate that, Deke. All right, guys, so we are three quarters down with only one quarter left. It's our final topic this week. Fourth quarter. It's time for Rise of the Machines. I know I just did a Rise of the Machines probably like three weeks, two, three weeks ago, and I try to keep certain segments spread apart, you know, to keep things fresh. You know what I mean? I want to make sure that the show still feels new to you all the listeners but damn it i i couldn't i couldn't resist it uh i'm going to be out of town next week so this will be the last show um for a week going out of town to celebrate my birthday an early birthday uh 
celebration, if you will. But, you know, so, you know, I'm looking for stories. I, I had a bunch of topics like this past week. There were a lot of topics to discuss, you know, uh, college football coaching jobs, all these guys playing musical chairs, Eli Manning with the Giants. Uh, there's so much, so much going on. But there were two stories, not one, but two stories over the past several days that man, not, it scared the hell out of me. I'm not even gonna lie. It scared the living hell out of me. Um, the first one, and I'm sure you guys have seen both of these. Uh, the first one I saw was a few, actually a few weeks ago. It was a robot, right? It's a robot that is doing backflips in some type of warehouse. I kid you not. It's a robot, man. Like straight out of like RoboCop, Joe. The robot is jumping up on these like this platform and it's running and then it does a backflip. I'm not lying. I, you go on, go on Twitter, go on Google and just Google robot backflip. It will haunt your nightmares. You won't unsee it. I'm being serious. And, you know, a lot of y'all, it, it was funny because, you know, people would quote, quote the image on Twitter. Like they quote the tweet and it was like, oh man, we dead. <laughs> Cause that's the only reaction you can have. You see this robot doing flips and running and you're like, yo, and it's clearly like, this is like the first prototype <laughs> of this machine. And it reminds you of, of, of like RoboCop, like the, the bad robo uh, robot on RoboCop. And you're like, okay, well, this is how we all die. And you know, we don't die by like mother nature or disease or anything like that. We die by our own creation. Who the hell thinks of stuff like this, bro? I mean, like seriously, why do we have robots doing backflips? And it's not like a little tiny little toy robot. It's a big ass robot, Slim. This like the Shaquille O'Neal robots jumping and doing flips. And all he needs is like a gun on his back. I was like, I was watching it just thinking, what the hell are we doing? And then this punk ass Elon Musk, I told you guys about him for those of you who aren't already aware of him. He's some fake ass Tony Stark. He, he, he is the dude, again, I remember the black guy Terminator 2, who like uh, Sarah Connors had, she was trying to kill him because he was he was using AI as a, as a way and a means to kind of change the world for the better, but he just couldn't see what he was going to do. So she can she was trying to kill him. Elon Musk is this black mama who you know John Connor's mom is trying to kill because he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. So everybody's flipping out on this tweet. Again, you gotta check the tweet out, man. The robot is doing backflips, yo. I promise you. And Elon Musk responds to someone. Someone tweets this and says, we, we dead. That's it, two words, we dead. Elon Musk says, this is nothing. In a few years, that bot will move so fast, you'll need a strobe light to see it. Sweet dreams. Elon Musk kiss my black ass, man. For real. You think this is a game. You think this is a game, Joe? I know you laughing and it's funny to you and your little sorry ass cars, man. You need to get the hell on. Get the hell on, man. Ain't nobody playing with you, man. And there's no, this is not funny. Like you may chuckle listening to me, but for real, 
you laugh to keep from crying. Again, everybody wants to blame millennials for everything. I blame millennials for not watching these sorry ass sci-fi movies from the 80s. Because if anybody watched those movies, Robocop, Robocop 2, Robocop 3, you know what I mean? Uh, then it, 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 Terminator, the first one. And then you go move into the 90s, Terminator 2, all these things. All these sorry Will Smith movies that I saw, I Robot, you know, all these things. We all know what happens. Why didn't anybody else watch these movies? Why? Was I the only one? Because I know the rules. I know what to and what not to do. And we are walking. We are walking into Armageddon with machines. And that's just the first story, bro. Because this next one, this next one, I swear, I, I don't know. I don't know what we are doing. Because this one is honestly the scariest one of them all. Okay, so <laughs> I don't know if you are aware, but we have the world's first robot citizen. Her name is Sophia. <laughs> Again, I kid you not, these are not made up stories. This is real life. There is a robot citizen named Sophia. And a while ago, so I saw this a while ago. And again, I try to keep these, these certain segments spread apart, you know, to keep the variety. And the first time I saw Sophia, it's, uh, she's, someone is having a conversation with her. And she, they ask her, you know, what, how does she feel about humans? And she has this like, and so it's, it's a woman's face. She doesn't have any hair. And she makes like this uh, perplexed facial expression when she first hears it. And then it's almost like she catches herself. It's like, oh, I want to know more about humans or whatever. At that point, I like, all right, we need to kill her. Kill the robot, Sophia. God bless you. You don't need to live anymore. They call it, they're calling her the first robot citizen. So this was like a month ago. At this point, Sophia already peeps game. So now Sophia is saying she wants a baby. I am not, again, I'm not lying. This is real life. This robot already wants to procreate. She's been alive for a month. Humans don't want to have children. Some humans don't want to have a child ever but let alone in a month's time a few months she's already ready I, and you know and you know and you know it's when these nerds out here who has no social skills you know who's afraid to speak to women real life women and this guy there's gonna be some loser you understand what i'm saying he's gonna try to book sophia and he's going man so now, now they're merging sci-fi genres, right? It's going to be like the robots and now like species. So you're going to have this. So Sophia already knows that we're doomed. They, she already peaked game in a month's time knows that the, the human race, we are a bunch of fools. And that there's some lame out there who's going to try to figure out some way. I, I don't know why she would want a baby. Think about it. Think of all the electronics in our life. Which one? wants to procreate which one wants to reproduce this this robot has been in existence for literally weeks and she already understands the game this should scare everybody because you know some loser is going to give it to her you understand what i'm saying i i don't know I, 
again, I talked about it the last time I had this segment. Sometimes technology, you get, you do it for convenience. And I get that. That makes sense, right? I understand why some of the, the, uh, the advancements in technology has happened, despite the fact that there should be some warning in all of our heads to be like, okay, you know what? This is a bit much, but I get at least there is some logic behind it. What's the logic behind having the quote unquote first robot citizen that now wants to reproduce? What's please, I'm serious. What positive can come from this? I swear, man. I really don't understand. I really do not get what people are thinking about. Joe, Sophia, they named her Sophia. They can't even give her hair. She talking about she wants to have a baby. How the hell that gonna happen? I don't actually, don't answer that question because I'm scared. People are too smart and too dumb at the same time, man. I, I honestly feel so many people, we, we got to this place because so many, some people just, they just don't know how to communicate. They don't know how to be around people. You know, you can blame it on whatever, blame it on television, blame it on bad parenting. But certain people, they, they just cut themselves off to humans and they are so enamored with like building their own race of machines. And before you know it, they're going to be chopping our heads off, bro. Hey, look, at this point, I got a daughter. Y'all know her. She's seven. I don't know what's going to happen in my lifetime, but you know, I'm in my thirties. I'm cool. I, you know, I, 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 I want to make the distance, you know what I'm saying? But as long as nothing happens to none of this stuff happens in the next, you know, 80, 90 years. So my daughter didn't have to deal with it because hey, two generations from now, Hey man, God bless you. Oh, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> you understand? I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to check out, I'm going to go to Netflix and check out some eighties sci-fi movies to give me, you know, a good idea because it's coming. We got a, we got RoboCop doing backflips off of, you know, pallets in a warehouse that Elon Musk thinks is funny. And now we got a woman robot, the first robot citizen, apparently, talking about she wants to have babies. Man, I don't know how we did it, but we f***ed this up royally. <laughs> All right, y'all, man. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed the show. I had so much fun this week. Again, I'm not going to be giving you a new show next week. I'm going to be on vacation celebrating my birthday a little bit early, but that will be the last break of 2017. I promise you we're going to hit the ground running when I come back. A few things that I want to let you guys know. Um, check out the show's page on Instagram. It's quarterly report. Again, that's on Instagram quarterly report. We're doing a series that I talked to you guys about last week about the wire. It's a really fun series, man. I'm having a fun, I have had a, I'm having a lot of fun doing it and I'm having a pretty good reaction to it thus far. If you are a fan of the NBA and a fan of the show, the wire, or if you're just a fan of this podcast, I really think you're going to like it. I'm merging the two, right? It's NBA players, NBA stars rather, and who they are best represented by characters from the greatest TV show of all time. I've done five thus far um, on Saturday and probably going to knock out five more. So keep keep coming back to the page. Uh, follow the page because we're doing a lot of other fun stuff, some snippets from interviews that you don't get to hear all of. Another little fun things 
regarding sports, entertainment, music, the whole nine, man. So check out the pod. Uh, check out the podcast Instagram page. That's a tug twister. It's called Quarterly Report on Instagram. Follow the show. I think you'll enjoy the stuff there. Also, email me the show. Email me and the show at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Thank you to the two listeners for your emails this week. Again, every other week, we're going to do stoppage time where I get a chance to talk to you guys, answer your questions, uh, respond to your criticisms, whatever. Just want to interact with you listeners because I really appreciate you guys giving me an hour of your week each and every week. Also, make sure you head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. Go ahead over to the podcast directory. All you have to do is search quarterly report. Again, that's quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. You search the show, you'll see my face on the icon with the, uh, on the coin. Click on that to subscribe to it. And while you're at it, please rate and review the show. And one final thing. I want you guys to check out a good friend of mine. If you're in the Baltimore, D.C. area, check out my guy, Andre Jones. He's doing a Charm City tournament this Saturday. Uh, you head on over to the show's uh, Twitter page, Quarterly Show. You'll see all the information there, but it's called the Charm City Challenge. Make sure you follow my guy, Andre Jones, for details. You're going to not want to miss it if you're a big-time high school, college basketball or any other basketball fan in the area. It's a fun tournament. Starts this Saturday. You're not going to want to miss it. All right, guys, that's a lot. Thank you so much. I know the show went a little bit longer this week, but I wanted to make sure I give you guys so much this week because, again, I'm not going to be here next week. But don't worry. There's 34 episodes. If you haven't heard all of them next week, do yourself a favor and listen to them. Let me know what your favorite is. I'll be on the Twitter account. I can email you the whole nine. I may have a little fun stuff on Instagram as well. So don't worry. We'll be back better than ever in two weeks on the Quarterly Report.